video check. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Everything pharmacy. Welcome to the show. I have the pleasure and honor of having Dr. Keelan Dahl on here with me. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. No problem at all. Uh, I'm really excited. I do not know anything about pharma and what the industry working in the industry is like. So I'm really excited to, to hear more about what uh, what it is that, that goes on in that world. And, and I'm excited for the listeners to hear it as well. Uh, so let's start by just you telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I graduated from the University of Florida College of Pharmacy a, a couple years back, and then I had the opportunity to go straight into industry by doing a uh, postdoc fellowship with a mid-sized pharmaceutical company. Uh, I did a fellowship in medical affairs and strategy. So that's when you have the opportunity to both understand what's going on internally as well as support the field medical team. Uh, so I did that for about a year. I was in Princeton, New Jersey for about eight months, and uh, halfway through the fellowship, it was a one-year fellowship, I had the pleasure, and we can go into detail about this further later, but I had the opportunity to transition to the government affairs and policy team uh, down in D.C. So I relocated, and I finished the rest of my fellowship uh, working alongside the government affairs and policy team uh, in D.C., and that was an incredible opportunity. Uh, really felt like a once-in-a-lifetime chance to work in that sort of capacity. Yeah. And um, as much as I enjoyed it, uh, I decided to keep on going with the medical side, which is what led me to taking an associate medical affairs director position uh, with the current company that I'm with. And in that role, uh, I work remotely. I mean, so I, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and there's not a lot of pharmaceutical companies here, so I work <laughs> in the field. I work remotely and I, I travel around to different healthcare institutions uh, and have healthcare related conversations uh, with those individuals. So you, 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 it sounds like you move around a lot, um, you know, relocating for the fellowship and then, you know, now you're based out of Ohio and, and how is that? Um, what's that like? Is that something you're, you, you're comfortable with? Is that something that you kind of know, knew was going to come with the territory or um, how's that been going? So I found that to be a really alluring part of going into industry in general, because similar to being a, a clinical pharmacist, you know, you really can take that with you anywhere around the United States. And as well with industry, you really can take it around with you uh, across the country, especially if you're working in the field. And so that was, I enjoyed the opportunity to allow my life to sort of unfold and to see where it would take me. I had a trajectory. I had a plan of where I would want to go, but life is completely unpredictable and fellowships really give you that opportunity experience. So many different functional areas within a pharmaceutical company. And if you're open to, you know, seeking opportunity, exploring other options that perhaps you weren't aware of when you started the, the fellowship, um, it can really take you to a number of different places. And that's what happened for me. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I had never even been to the state of Ohio before taking this job. Yeah. Um, but 
that's a beautiful thing. Did I ever see myself living in the Midwest? Absolutely not. Did I really see myself moving to New Jersey following pharmacy school? That really wasn't on my radar when I started pharmacy school at all. Yeah. So really, this this career path can take you in so many different directions. And if you're open to discovering new places and discovering new opportunities, it's really a great option for uh, for prospective uh, you know candidates. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your, you know, what your day to day is like. Like, w- what's the basics of what you're currently doing? H- how is that? Uh, what What is that like yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, when you wake up, you know, whether, whether your day starts at seven, nine, ten? Uh, what's day to day like for you in the current in the current role? So one of the beautiful things about working in the field is that you have the opportunity to create your own schedule. So typically. Uh, your employer, you know, your management team will give you a suggestion about how often you should be in the field, right? How often should you be uh, out there meeting with with individuals, uh, with other healthcare professionals? Um, but it's really up to you when you want to meet with them, um, how many days a week uh, really that you want to be out in the field, where you want to go. For example, for me, I cover I cover about six states. And so I need to plan, okay, when do I want to be in New York? When do I want to be in Kentucky? You know, and so you have the autonomy to decide that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's very self-driven. It's a very self-driven role. So if you are that early bird that gets up at six in the morning, or if you're that night owl that stays up at two, really doesn't matter as long as at the end of the day, you're, you're you know, getting out there and, and seeing who you're supposed to be seeing. Yeah. So it's really not that nine to five kind of thing, uh, you know, that that people are used to in terms of, you know, the workforce. It's really um, it's just whatever you feel the most comfortable with. Far from it. Absolutely. It is far from that nine to five position. Um, And I think all of us are different in the number of hours that we need to put into the role in order to feel comfortable with it. Uh, You know, I kind of want to walk you through what it's like starting in that role and then working up to you know, being comfortable in it. Yeah. And when you're in those different phases, you're going to be investing different amounts of your time in different uh, components of the job. Mm-hmm. So for example, when you're starting off in the job, you're really trying to figure out the ther- you need to have a full understanding of the therapeutic area, right? You need to understand um, the disease state that you're working in and the therapeutic guidelines out there and the you know, the current associations that exist and, and what their thoughts are on, on newest treatments, et cetera. So you need to be able to first and foremost establish your base. You need to understand the therapeutic area, and then you need to understand the territory that you're living in. So understanding those healthcare systems that are most pronounced in, in your region, in your state, or your multiple states, uh, depending on your role. So the first portion is really figuring out, okay, what environment am I living in? Um, it's sort of like the Stephen Covey quote, first seek to understand before seeking to be understood. So you first need to understand what you're walking into before you can try to be a part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love that you just quoted the, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. I like that is a solid foundation to, to, you know, my everyday living even, uh, you know, and and also I, I apply a lot of those stuff to my career. So I'm really happy that you threw that out there. Oh, absolutely. And if I can throw in a suggestion, um, I recently started using this new app and I really enjoy it. Um, it's something that I listen to when I'm driving, actually, because I, I do spend quite a bit of time traveling. Um, 
It's called Blinkist. Hmm. This app is, it condenses the most, um, I don't know what you want to say, the most well-known books or just useful books, modern books, what have you. It summarizes all these books into quick uh, podcasts or uh, oh, okay. quick quick commentary um, that you can listen to. So I've read the, the book many times, but it's also nice to have a refresher. Yeah. Um, there's a number of books that I really enjoy going back to, like uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great. That's, that's one that I, I constantly go back to the summary of. And, um, and this, this app just uh, allows you to listen to the key highlights and sort of keeps those seven uh, habits on top of mind. So just a little, little tidbit to throw in there. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely try to put a link to that in the show notes and I'll check it out myself too. So thanks for that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So, so going back to your question, Richard, we were talking about the first stage is really seeking to understand before, you know, being understood. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And then the next part is when you actually start going out there and getting some face time um, with the individuals that you're meeting with. And so in that portion of it, um, you, you would uh, just in the way that, you know, an actor, um, they have their, you know, 20 minutes on stage, but they're spending hours and hours of prep time. That's really what you do in this role as well. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what you're doing is preparing for your meetings. And so that again is understanding who are you meeting with? So you can ensure that your discussion is relevant and pertinent to their interests, their mm -hmm. professional interests. So you're spending a lot of time preparing for your meetings. And then of course uh, you need to shape your skills to actually have a, a, a valuable conversation. Yeah. Now these meetings that you're preparing for in a, I'm assuming that there's two different types of meetings that these could be, these could be both internally and externally, right? Right. Um, so of course you're going to be meeting with the rest of your team on a, on a virtual platform. Yeah. So, uh, for example, if you have 12 people on your team and you cover all corners of the United States, um, uh, maybe you're going to meet every Monday at four o'clock on a WebEx or so and, and have a conversation, but most of your meetings are going to be external facing. Yeah. So facing, uh, people that do not work within the company, um, people that are working in the community, um, working with uh, patients. Cool. And what are preparation times look like? I mean, is it are these types of preparations where you're preparing for weeks for something? And speaking of preparations, uh, it sounded like to, you know, sometimes you have specifics. So, you know, thinking of a community pharmacist, we have to know a bunch of stuff about everything, right? When sure. you're preparing for, you know, certain things in your role, are, are people usually assigned a specific drug? Is it a specific disease state? Or what, what is that usually like for, for someone in that industry? So what you need to do is establish that you are indeed an expert. Really the value of a field medical professional uh, that works for a pharmaceutical company is to provide value to the healthcare professional that you're meeting with. There is no ties uh, to the sales portion of the organization. You are completely separate from the commercial part of the organization. So what your value is, is what clinical knowledge do you have that's valuable to the healthcare professional you're working with? So when you're preparing in that sense, you number one, need to fully be uh, uh, fully aware of all of the, the intrinsic details of your product. So from, you know, where is it developed to the clinical trials, to the black box warning, safety information, Efficacy, you know, the list goes on of, of what information you have to be fully, um, fully knowledgeable of. Mm. Secondly, you need to understand 
the landscape that you're working within. So let's say you support a diabetes franchise. Uh, you need to be aware of what the most recent uh, national meeting came out and spoke about. Typically, you actually are attending those meetings. And so you need to be up to date about uh, what the most uh, pertinent uh, poster presentations were. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be understanding of what the most important symposiums were, who's publishing, um, the list goes on. Any, uh, you need to be fully aware of the, the new guidelines that are coming out. There's just a list of things that you need to understand about the landscape. Mm-hmm. So first know your product, you need to know the landscape. And then additionally, like I said, you have to make sure that you're tailoring your prep time to the individual you're working with. I heard this great analogy the other day, and it was something along the lines of, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody goes to an ophthalmologist or an eye doctor and says, hey, um, you know, here's my pair of glasses and here you go ahead and wear them and you should be able to see out of them just fine. Mm-hmm. They're going to evaluate you. They're going to see what specific needs you have so you get the right pair of glasses. And really, we do the same thing. We're not just going to hand somebody a pair of glasses and say, I think you should be able to see fine out of these. Really need to understand what person you're meeting with and what matters to them so they can see clearly out of the glasses that you're handing them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And what what was interesting to me, too, is the separation of sales versus, you know, like the clinical knowledge and and trying to bring value, I guess, to the person you're meeting with or, or, you know, organization you're meeting with. That was something, I guess, that kind of stuck out to me a little bit was, you know, when I, I'm thinking when someone is in pharma, they're all they're thinking about is sales, you know, so that, that's definitely something that sounds like is not the case. Absolutely. So um, there is a, if you will, there's a huge wall between commercial uh, and the medical side of the company. And uh, it's, it's very highly scrutinized in order to ensure that there is that separation um, because we are meeting uh, at a peer-to-peer level, because people that are field medical professionals um, usually have a doctorate of some sort. Gotcha. Um, almost across the board, they will have a PharmD, an MD, a PhD, or, or some other form of a doctorate. And so with that comes additional responsibility, but it can in no way be be linked to the sales. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so I'm not sure if we finished off with you. You were saying that there's kind of two phases to this, um, you know, to, to what you're doing. Uh, if you can finish off with that and then, and then talk about like what that next, uh, what that next phase was. So you've, you know, you've established yourself in the area, you've figured out what matters to the people you're meeting with. And then the next step is figuring out how you can continue to provide value to the individuals you're meeting with. Um, so you have to be really actively listening during your meetings to figure out what would make the most sense to continue to speak about in the future so that you can continue to to um, nurture that relationship. So that's really the third third piece of it. Yeah. In order to, I guess, do all these things successfully and to be, you know, a, a thriving pharmacist in that field, would you say that there's any specific skills that are necessary, um, you know, other than obviously going to pharmacy school? Is there, what else is there that's really needed, you know, to be successful in, in what you're doing? Rather than even focusing on the skills, you know, like time management, multitasking, you know, things that, of course, you know, you need to be able to do. Um, I really comes down to your character, uh, really what is at your core? What are your values? Um, why are you doing this job? Why does this matter to you? 
And I think if you are honest with yourself about that and you can truly answer that question, I think that will serve as an engine to propel you to have all the skills you need in order to do this job. For example, I feel that most people that go into the field medical profession tend to do it because they truly want to impact patient care at a national level. Mm. And with that in mind, I think because of that passion to impact patients, I think that naturally they will be inclined and compelled to to move forward in being uh, incredibly effective with their time uh, to go ahead and take the extra mile in the work that they need to do, you know, to really invest the time to connect the dots and see the full picture. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, if you understand your values and your, your core belief system and you work on that, I think naturally the skills that you need in order to do this job sort of come out naturally from that. Gotcha. Now you mentioned something, uh, you know, interesting what, where you talked about having an impact on patient care from a national perspective. I'd like to see if we can talk about that a little bit more specifically, because, you know, as a community pharmacist, you know, there people are on the front lines or even at a, at a hospital, uh, you know, staff pharmacists or someone doing clinical rounds, they're, they're really on the front lines of, of direct patient care. If someone wanted to have that impact on a national level, what specifically, you know, is a driver or what, what specific impacts would you say are possible at the national level that you as the pharmacist can have uh, in a position like yours? Right. So the impact that one can have as a clinical pharmacist is extraordinary. Essentially, what you can do is impact the treatment of, of patients at that institution that you work at, which is an incredible opportunity and, and quite a gift to have that to have that ability to do so for patients and really making a difference in patients' lives. Now, as a field medical professional, uh, what you have the opportunity to do is be on the cutting edge of, of new science, of new medications that are coming out, and you are an expert in typically one specific area. Um, again, let's say you are specifically uh, an expert in anesthesiology. Mm-hmm. So rather than being cognizant of what's happening in diabetes and cardiovascular disease, et cetera, you just know anesthesiology really, really well. And because of that, you can ensure that you are providing value to the healthcare professionals you speak to about one, what's going on just in general in the landscape, but two, make them fully comfortable of the safety uh, risks that are possible with your medication and also the potential efficacy of the product as well. Um, so in that sense, you know, you may be talking with a healthcare professional, um, at, uh, Mount Sinai, for example, as well as speaking to someone at NYU, uh, as well as speaking to someone in Boston, hmm. uh, and the list goes on. So you're really speaking to, uh, healthcare decision makers, uh, in a larger span of area. So that's what I mean at a national level. There sh- certainly are those medical, uh, field medical professionals that do actually work at the national level where they are meeting with individuals uh, all the way from California to Maine, for example. Um, So the scope of your impact can, can really differ depending on the role that you have. Gotcha. That's really interesting. That's something that, you know, people that are currently in pharmacy school now, or even, you know, working as, as a, as a pharmacist out on the, at at a community pharmacy, I think it's interesting to know that, you can still have that, you know, the impact that you currently have day to day 
at a front-facing patient level, you can have that at a much greater or more impactful level in terms of the number of people you can possibly reach um, by going into into an industry like yours. So that's really interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of like, let's say a practicing pharmacist, what if, let's say me, I'm a community pharmacist, you know, working in a large retail chain and I want to go into pharma. What what type of advice would you have um, to the, you know, pharmacist that that is out already in the field and well off into their career, but, you know, are thinking about a career change? So I think most important is starting off by getting the knowledge that you need in order to make an informed decision. So I think that's number one. Um, Something that I love about about one of the individuals that I admire uh, the most, Steve Jobs, is that he said what sets apart successful people is their willingness to ask for help. Uh, There's a great story about him. When he was 12, uh, he sent a letter uh, over to, who was it? like who Bell or, or Dell or something to, like that. Yeah, he sent yeah. it over to Bill Hewlett. Yeah, there you um, go. He was the co-founder of Hewlett Packard. Yeah. <laughs> and he asked him for some spare parts. And not only did he give him those parts, Steve Jobs is 12-year-old, but he also gave him a summer internship. Yeah. Um, and so Steve Jobs said he continued to do that throughout his career. And very rarely did he ever have a, a situation where he asked for help and didn't receive it. And so I think the first step is to just start asking questions. Start, you know, do a LinkedIn search of MSL in your state, let's say Colorado. Take a look-see about who in, who in the Colorado area, who in the Denver area is an MSL and see if you can have a, you know, a 20-minute chat with them to learn more about their role. Uh, learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully understand what you're getting yourself into. And don't just have that conversation with one or two people. Have it with a a list of people so you can really get the full picture of what the job entails. And so I think first and foremost, you need to be informed. And I think secondly, start letting people know your interest. Start getting advice on, you know, what positions might be appropriate for them. Perhaps when you were a community pharmacist, you, uh, you know, you were responsible for vaccines, for example. See if there's opportunities to work as a field medical professional in a vaccine uh, therapeutic area. You know, um, see how your skill set uh, from your from your from your previous position as community pharmacist can enable you to be an asset to a, a medical affairs organization, whether that be in a, a external facing role like a um, like a medical science liaison, for example, or if it's internal. Maybe you would be an excellent addition to a medical information team uh, where you're serving as the medical information expert um, for a for a product. That could be a great uh, stepping stone as well if you wanted to start maybe in an internal uh, level and then move, uh, move externally in the future. So one of the beautiful things about uh, working in industry is there is no one right way to do it. Every individual that I've ever met and worked with has a different story to tell, whether they did a fellowship or they started in community, they worked in clinical practice for 20 years, five years, what have you. We all have a different story and that's what makes us a great organization because we all have different um, skills and experience and insight to offer. So what you need to do as an individual that is interested uh, would be to understand what value, what what perspective do you bring that could enable the medical organization um, to be successful. Well, that is excellent advice. And I do hope that 
you know, if there are, if there are any listeners out there that are interested, you know, they really kind of replay that again and, and take notes and, and start taking action, you know, uh, because I think that was some, some very, some very solid advice. What about the students? What about, you know, someone that that's a, you know, first or second year, third, or even fourth year that is interested in doing this? Um, I'm, I'm sure a fellowship is, is something that you'll mention, but what else, including that, if, if that's what you recommend, what, what else can they do, uh, be doing other than that? What, like from a day-to-day standpoint while in school, if they're interested, what, what can they do to um, start being a good candidate to go into the industry? Absolutely. I actually wrote a, a small little article on my LinkedIn page. It's called How to Ace Mid-Year, A Former Fellow's Two Cents. And really that article was written for fourth-year students that are preparing themselves to go to mid-year. But I have to say a lot of the information in that article is really tailored towards students at any point um, in their pharmacy school career uh, to really start tailoring their actions to meet the needs of being an excellent candidate um, for a fellowship or for industry in general. Some people don't even do a fellowship and just jump straight into industry. Mm. Uh, I'd say that's perhaps less uh, common, at least to my knowledge, but certainly I, I have seen it happen. Um, but to, to expand upon that, Richard, a couple of the things that I would suggest for students that are interested is to think of it this way. Um, I try to think of for myself when I wanted to become a fellow. Let me take a step back. First, I, I started pharmacy school with the pure intention of doing a clinical residency for two years following pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. I really looked at pharmacy school as six years because Undoubtedly, I was going to do a two-year residency. However, that, uh, that decision changed in my third year, and I decided that I was going to start tailoring all of my activities towards being the best fellowship candidate possible. And the way that I like to think of it is really five boxes um, that I wanted to be able to check off in a way or to really speak to um, these five different components of what I can offer. Um, as a young uh, pharmacy professional. So uh, the five boxes uh, from my perspective are one, academic excellence. Um, Secondly, leadership experience. Uh, The third box is, did you uh, conduct any research, uh, any publications? Perhaps did you receive any honors? So looking at that as the third box. Uh, The fourth one would be industry experience. So that could be working with a pharmaceutical company or perhaps um, another entity that works with pharmaceutical companies. For example, um, having regulatory experience, working with the FDA, perhaps uh, maybe even the CDC. Uh, Maybe you have managed care experience, which is incredibly valuable, whether that be with um, some sort of PBM or an insurer, what have you. And then the fifth box is really your wild card. It's what makes you, you? Is it that you're an incredible order? Do you have a, an incredible way of presenting yourself um, in front of a large group? Do you have some sort of additional talent outside of pharmacy? Perhaps I remember one student that I met, he won a hackathon at MIT. Oh, um, awesome. What an incredible, I mean, what an incredible additional uh, point to, to point out on your CV. It yeah. was just amazing. Um that wild card box is really something that is individual to you, whether it's something you've done, a sort of skill that you have, or perhaps it's just that persona that you have that makes 
people say, yes, I want to look closer at you. I want to know you. I want to talk to you. Um, you know, so sometimes that, that wild card can be somewhat undefinable, mm-hmm. but really as you're going through pharmacy school, um, thinking about how you can fit into those boxes. And I sort of spoke to this already is that there's no one right way of doing this. And I am certainly not saying that if you are, you know, the president of your organization that you need to go out there and get a publication in a journal, I am in no way insinuating that you need to, for some reason, just arbitrarily check off all these boxes. No, not at all. I'm just suggesting that if you're trying to think about how to manage your time effectively, you know, think about those as some key elements of what a hiring manager is going to look at uh, when they're when they're selecting fellows uh, to bring on board to their company. Hmm. Well, that is excellent advice in terms of, I like the box. I, when you started talking about the boxes, I was like, oh, this is going to get really good. And you definitely lived up to my <laughs> expectation. <laughs> Those are some really, really good points, uh, you know, for people to start taking a look at and, and auditing what they're currently doing in school, or even as, you know, if they're a professional, um, are a pharmacist already out on the field. Um, I think, I think those are excellent. What I'm really curious about too is um, you're the first person I'm probably going to have this conversation with that, that has actually done a, a, a fellowship. And I'm really curious to know as to, you know, what a fellowship was like, especially um, compared to maybe what you've heard about doing a residency is like, because um, I don't think that's information that's, you know, readily available, especially it wasn't to me at least. And, and so I'm really, really like to hear on, on what your take was and how that experience was. Sure, sure. Uh, you're right. It's uh, it's hard to define exactly to to summarize your year long experience um, into a quick couple of sentences, but I'll I'll do my best. I will say that every fellowship is incredibly unique. Even within the firm, within the one company that I was employed by, I would say that each of our experiences was incredibly different. And um, depending on the program that you go into, it can be structured so very differently. So I want to send off a piece of advice to really do your homework on the program that you're entering into. And when I say do your homework, I mean, going beyond just understanding what's in the brochure. I mean, do your best to actually speak with the fellows. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time, if you send them an email, you know, you find their picture and their name on the brochure, or you send them an email, you send them a message on, on some other sort of social media platform they will typically be more than happy to talk to you about their experience and usually give you genuine advice about what they have gone through as a fellow. Either they've already completed it or they're halfway through, but they will let you know what it's like. So I'd say number one, figure that out. Mm -hmm. But for me, within my fellowship, I specifically chose it because I knew that my manager was very willing to allow me to explore numerous opportunities. So I went into the fellowship with a pretty firm understanding of what medical affairs would be like. And I felt this confidence in the role because I had spoken to so many people. I mean, dozens of people that either worked internally or externally within medical affairs. And I felt like I knew what it would be like to be a medical affairs fellow. So what I wanted from my from my manager and from my fellowship is for her to allow me the opportunity to explore other areas. I have interest in market access and HEOR, uh, public policy. And I made that very clear during my interview process, what my intentions were Mm. to be a medical affairs fellow, uh, but to have the opportunity to explore these other areas as well as to not pigeonhole my opportunities for my future. Um, 
So fortunately, I figured out very early on that this individual, my manager, was very open to this. And so that really dictated my decision to go with that company. And she absolutely lived up to her promise of allowing me to do that. Um, Really what a good manager does, what an extraordinary manager does, is give you a very high platform for you to stand on during your fellowship. So you're not doing remedial work. You're not doing busy work, but you're actually getting on the projects that matter, that have a level of visibility that you would not get in an ordinary entry-level position. Mm -hmm. You're having the opportunity to work with people from all those different divisions I I mentioned, and then more so, um, even more uh, professionals across the company. So I had that experience with it. I had the opportunity to be given direction, but also build my own path to really shape my own path forward. Mm -hmm. And so I think you come into the fellowship with both your own personal objectives of what you hope to gain from it. But then of course the open-mindedness to what opportunities come that you can never have imagined. Hmm. So what was like, you know, like an average day? Cause I, I know you're saying that they're unique to every, you know, to every different program, but let's, you know, specifically yours, what I know about a residency, I didn't do one, but what I know about a residency, you know, overall it's, you have rotations where, you know, different month you go to a different department or you learn about something different you have a preceptor, you know, there's journal clubs, there's all those types of things. What is like, what was like an average day, I would say, as a fellow, you know, for someone that just wants to know what a, what a day-to-day was like, um, you know, in a, in a fellowship? What, can, you, can you describe to me, like, what, what do you think an average day would be like? Absolutely. Sure. I think an average day, again, I think it'll be so different based upon your attitude walking in the door. Mm-hmm. Are you the kind of person that waits for opportunities to be given to them? Or are you the sort of person that goes out and seeks to create opportunities? So I think number one, that's going to completely differentiate your experience as a fellow. Yeah. So let's go ahead and assume you're the type that goes out and, and seeks opportunities for yourself. So I think walking in the door every day is incredibly exciting as a fellow because there are so many different opportunities uh, from a day-to-day basis. So I'd say some of the things that you can expect as a fellow is first being brought into a a lot of meetings. Mm -hmm. You're going to be meeting a a ton of people and that gives you the opportunity to set up a lot of one-on-ones. We had a company culture where one-on-ones were highly encouraged. So on a daily basis, you're meeting individuals for coffee or over lunch or whenever, and you're learning more about what they do. So really in the beginning, you are gathering information, somewhat similar to how I describe my role now. Mm -hmm. You need to start off by gathering information. Who do you work with? What do they do? How does it all fit together? Um, Then moving forward, you have the opportunity to start working on some really incredible projects. Typically, fellows do a research project. Um, You you decide what the project is. You get a budget approved for it. uh, You start working on it. And then you have the opportunity to submit it to a, a conference and have, uh, have the opportunity to go to that conference and present your data. But cool. beyond that, yeah, it is. I, I, travel was incredible. You will travel quite a bit as a fellow, uh, whether it's to attend your national meetings. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel for um, ad boards where you are getting insight from the individuals that are invited to that ad board um, regarding you know, your, uh, your product. Really, um, so so I had the opportunity to run a workshop at an ad board. 
uh, I had the opportunity to work with our HEOR team and go to a, a national conference and present that data at a poster presentation. Uh, you also have the opportunity to attend quite a number of external meetings as well. Um, the company really encourages professional growth. Um, so if there are conferences that you think are worthwhile and valuable and would provide um, greater insight for your company to work with, then they'll allow you to go out and gather such insight. So that's a really wonderful component of it as well. Yeah. Um, but when you are working internally, typically you are responsible for something, whether you're responsible for um, with the trainings uh, that are going to be conducted for new hires, or you are responsible for the clinical slide decks uh, that the team will have when they are uh, you know, in those meetings externally. You might have the opportunity to work on the strategy portion of medical affairs. And so what I mean by that is you have the opportunity to help shape the strategy for the coming year, as well as help with developing the tactics in order to accomplish that strategy. And that is just a whole nother area that we could really delve into. I loved that part of my job. I love the strategy piece of it. And uh, something that I certainly never anticipated uh, going into going into pharmacy school, having the opportunity to work on something uh, quite as impactful as that. And really, um, depending on your relationship with your manager or your preceptor, whomever it is, uh, you could have full responsibility for the project. Uh, wow. Of course, the the team is going to be there to support you, but you know you're you're steering the ship sometimes, which yeah. is just an incredible opportunity so early in your career. Yeah, that is pretty cool, actually. To wrap up here, was there anything that we didn't get to talk about that you wanted to throw in here? Oh gosh, um, I, I think a lot of the things that I would say about the skills for the job. Um, would be relatively intuitive, you know, being a team player, yeah. time efficiency, you know, all those sort of things. So I don't think we really need to go into that because I think most people will figure no, that out yeah, for themselves. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Definitely. <laughs> That's cool. So what, what, okay. what would you say is the, uh, you know, if people want to talk a little bit more about, or, you know, they have specific questions about the industry and, and want to reach you, what, what would be the best way uh, for them to get in contact with you? Yes. I love that you asked that question because Again, to go back to Stephen Covey, um, start with the end in mind, right? And so for me, I, I like to reflect upon what legacy do I want to leave behind when I'm, when I'm done with my career, when I'm old and gray, sitting on my porch, looking at the sunset, you know, mm -hmm. what do I want to be remembered for? And, and really what I hope to be um, remembered for is, is being a mentor. And a big part of that is because I've had incredible mentors Throughout my career, uh, I still have wonderful mentors in my current role that are helping me um, be successful in, in the career that I've chosen. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to pay that forward to other people that are passionate and, and interested uh, to pursuing a career in industry. So any way that I can help, I, I would love to do so. So with that being said, uh, the best way to get in contact with me, uh, is simple uh, LinkedIn is always great uh, to just you know, look up my name and, and certainly send me a message and we'll figure out a way to connect. That's cool. the beautiful thing about having a thousand platforms. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, two cell phones, two computers, LinkedIn, Twitter. You know, Maybe don't look me up on, on uh, other social media platforms. Let's keep it professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, yeah, I mean, with the amount of social media out there, I mean, there's, you know, numerous ways to, to find people. So I'm sure they'll be able to figure it out. And, and I'll try to see if I can put a link to your LinkedIn uh, in the show notes in case anyone's interested and maybe save them a, a search. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to be on here with me. I really appreciate it. I do think you brought a lot of value to the listeners and, and to me as well. Uh, so thank you very much for joining. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I hope it was as insightful to you as it was to me. Please leave me a comment on Instagram or on iTunes. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Any feedback is going to be greatly appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, see you over the counter.